I'm Yamilka Rodriguez, and this is the Brand Therapist Podcast, where we come together and deep dive into the psychology of branding. We live in a new era that asks us to step up and show our individuality, learn what makes us unique and different in this world. Let's open the door to possibilities so you can win in business, life, and relationships, because everything starts with you. Hello and welcome to the Brand Therapist Show. I'm your host, Jamoka Rodriguez, and I'm so, so excited for this episode. I have an amazing guest, Brian Andres uh, Susana Warren. Oh, I love your name, by the way. We'll talk about that in a second. But before we get started, I'm going to read Brian's bio. Brian is a passion-filled day, is serving as an executive director of the Educational Justice, a Louisville, Kentucky nonprofit that is helping to close the math and reading achievement gap for underserved middle school students by pairing them for weekly one-on-one tutoring with a high school student at no cost during the school year. How awesome. Previously served as the Director of Office for Globalization for Louisville Metro Government, that's where we met, bringing together government business and civic leaders to welcome new international residents to build inclusive strategies for economic and community growth. Prior to the city, he's led community arts initiatives and vice president of the education and community arts for Kentucky Performing Arts, executive director of Asia Institute Crane House and nonprofit Asian cultural organization in Louisville and as associate curator of education at the Speed Art Museum. He practices visual arts with an interest in drawing. And yes, I have seen his drawings. They are pretty amazing. Printmaking and ceramics. He has a small side hustle as an exhibition curator, which gives him the opportunity to work with artists and community directly. He believes that good design emphasizes on the audience and pursuing beauty is one's work leads to extraordinary results, which I so agree with you, Brian. Welcome, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for you, Milka. It's really good to join you. Before we get started and getting to know you a little bit, Tell us a little bit about what you do, a little bit more in depth of kind of the work that you're doing right now. So I'm the director of an organization called Educational Justice, and we work to end educational inequity in our community. And we're really highly focused on middle school students, students between fifth to eighth grade. The reason why we're really focused on that group is because that's an area of education where the external resources aren't as readily available as you would find with elementary kids and high school kids. A lot of emphasis on elementary kids and getting up to speed with reading, high school kids planning for college and career pathways after they they graduate. But middle school, it's that, you know, that spot in which a lot of people, it's awkward. It's awkward going through it. I mean, I'm sure you remember how fantastic middle school was. I think it's hard, especially when people, and I'm sure you went through this too, you're not sure what you want to be or who you want to be. And you have all these opportunities, but it's confusing, right? When I was in middle school, I thought I was going to be an engineer. Imagine that. Well, that's a great thing to spark to you. Well, you know, I would say you don't know what you want to be, but you can be everything, right? So everything's such a possibility. And there's 
it's difficult when, you know, all of those possibilities exist. Plus, you know, you're dealing with hormones pumping through your body, your social networks changing dramatically, the school environment and the expectations academically being much higher. You're a proto-adult. You're going through this massive transition and it's really difficult. So the way that we're really trying to kind of solve this issue is by pairing these students up one-on-one with a high-achieving high school student who can model and mirror their academics and social success as kind of a peer mentor, coach, and tutor to help them along through middle school. And in many ways to help them replicate that same success so that when they get to high school, they can become a tutor and mentor for peers after they're done. I love it. That's such an amazing thing to be able to do. I love what you're doing. I wanted to ask, you know, I tell people that this wouldn't be a brand therapist show if we didn't talk about childhood. So tell me a story about your childhood and how it kind of got you to where you are today. Sometimes people ask you about, you know, who is really important in your life. But my childhood, I think, was most profoundly impacted by my grandparents. You know, I lost my mom when I was younger and my dad had difficulty trying to navigate being a, a single father you know, with two kids during a time when that kind of thing was not as well supported as it is now. And so my grandparents were a big part of our life. So we actually lived with them for a couple of years. We would travel to see them in the summers. And my grandparents were really big influences in my life and my grandfather in particular. And he was one of these people that were amazingly curious about everything. He lived in this house down in the country. His garage was packed with junk. His house was filled with books and every day was an exploration, right? And he engendered that with my sister and I. He didn't put a lot of rules around what we were supposed to do on a daily basis, except for the days when we had to go to school. But there was an expectation that we could figure it out. And if not, he would be doing something that we were keenly interested in and he would show us how it worked. But he would do things just to kind of inspire our curiosity. Like one time he bought an old army tent And he just put everything out in the yard and just left it there. And eventually my sister and I figured out how to put it together. Yeah. And that was just the kind of thing that my grandfather did. And that's the way our life was. And, you know, I've always been a teacher all my life and I'm really interested in finding ways in which you can spark that curiosity and encourage learning. Because if you can do that, then people become lifelong learners instead of being really didactic and, you know, trying to enforce a certain set of rules. I'd rather figure out ways in which they can learn. Oh, I love that. I love when we have people in our lives that give us that opportunity to use our creativity and our skills to do things a little differently than other people. And it just gives us the opportunity to see, oh, there's so much possibility. Wow, we can do so much more. So I love that your grandparents gave you that opportunity. And, you know, I have to say, when I was born, most of my grandparents were not alive. I actually didn't get to meet my grandfathers, either of them. I got to meet my great-grandmother and my grandmother, who were the only ones alive. And that was, I have to say, a gift. So having that opportunity to actually grow up with that is pretty amazing. So in that vein, let me ask you this. Do you consider that you have a personal brand? And if so, how would you define it? Oh boy, Milka! I knew this question was coming. <laughs> you know, I'm <laughs> I'm such an inquisitive person that you know I always find it hard to kind of pigeonhole myself. But I'm not sure if I have a word or a name for the brand. It sounds like you kind of 
have uh, figured that out. But I'm really interested personally in my own self-development and the self-development of others. I think coach, mentor, and in all my work, I've always approached it that way. I really believe in the power of teams and there's a, a great possibility and opportunity when you individually spend time in your own self-improvement and then improving those around you, you can achieve great things. And so, you know, whatever that objective is, I feel like I've been able to do this kind of broad spectrum of work that I'll be honest with you, and some of it I had no knowledge of or no qualification to be doing, but a lot of interest and spirit in learning how to do it and do it well and make it beautiful. So I think that idea of being a lifelong learner and instilling that power of self-learning and self-actualization are a lot of the things I, I would say are part of my personal brand. Great, because we're going to go into something. I know you've done some pretty amazing things, and maybe you can tell us about one of those moments, because I want you to talk about your fame story. When I tell people about fame, I don't necessarily mean like, you know, your celebrity uh, story. I mean more how you were able to do an impact or, or have an impact in somebody's lives or in somebody's world. So if I asked you to tell me a fame story that just comes up to you in this moment, what would that be? Well, I'd really have two. And I think often fame stories and those kind of stories and narratives drive themselves out of thinking big and taking big risk. And I don't know how to define that for everybody. That's a different perspective for everyone. But for me, and the one that you probably are aware of, because you know we kind of worked in the same sphere when, when this did occur, is when the city of Louisville became the second certified welcoming city in the United States. And getting that certification was just, you get the piece of paper, you get the little award ceremony, you know, it gets out in the news. But what is wonderful about those things is then you look back on all the little pieces that had to come together, how you had to plan, how you had to kind of build out that vision and to begin the process of actualizing it. And that's the fun work. It wasn't always easy. You have those challenges you have to face in it. But in this case, it was bringing that kind of community building work to a really large scale. I mean, we're talking about a whole city coming together, right? Lots of different organizations, individual leaders in foreign-born communities. So for those who don't know, the Welcoming City Certification is something that's given by Welcoming America for communities that have demonstrated the highest levels of providing and creating welcoming environments to immigrants and refugees in their communities. And this was a fairly new certification process that had like 44 different guidelines and factors that you had to fulfill to achieve that status. And it took us a couple of years to get there, but it was hard work, but we did it. And it's good to be part of that and to share that you know, accomplishment with all the people in the community. And I have to say, like, I was hoping that that would be one of your pieces because I definitely know that you had an impact on my life being an immigrant myself and being able to go through that certification process. It was just amazing. And just the time I, I spent with the organization and really seeing the journey to get there was amazing. And you guys gave us so much opportunity. I mean, I was in Forbes magazine because of you. So I have to really give that to, you know, your efforts and the impact you had on me. Absolutely. I think those are and however you define those are really, really amazing. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say that maybe your only fame thing is that little new billboard that you have up at Times Square. <laughs> but, you know, those sometimes are the kind of, that's purposeful, but sometimes that's just the accumulation of just 
good, solid work and maintaining your vision, a sense of who you are and going for it. Yeah, that is true. So tell us your second one. You said you had uh, two stories. So the second one, I love this one too. And I think this kind of laid the groundwork for the one with the city, but I uh, was a young artist. I lived in Birmingham, Alabama, to be honest with you, didn't really know what I was going to do. And that's okay. I think that's actually a good thing. But I was really open up to a lot of opportunities. So I ended up at the door, back door of this arts organization down in Birmingham called Space 111. And it was right next to the largest housing project in Alabama. And it was this, were these two people, Ann Aerosmith and Peter Prince, who had this real vision for creating a community arts organization that would be, would have a studio, top-notch gallery for exhibiting work for artists and then providing kind of a, a central place for people to gather to celebrate art. And it's funny because their first vision was that, you know, they're going to build this and we're going to get a lot of kids who whose families have money who are going to bring their kids down for art classes. And that's how they're going to su sustain themselves financially. But they built this down in a neighborhood that was needing some economic growth and assistance. And so they didn't see those people coming in initially. So the doors were open. We were running the studio. And the kids who were actually showing up were the kids from the housing project. These kids after school who didn't have anything to do, they'd poke their head in the door and like, what are you doing in there? And at that time I was doing ceramics. And so I'm working on clay and they come in like, mister, what are you doing? And can we do it? So I started letting them play with it. And then all of a sudden we had these kids showing up every day. And then some friend of ours, you know, said, hey, looks like you got an arts education program on your hand. Why don't you guys write a grant to, to teach these kids? So we did, we got the grant. And then that ended up snowballing into a full-fledged program that got nationally recognized. It won one of the uh, President's Awards for the Arts. And we had built a sustaining program where we had kind of a guild-style system. So kids would enter in the program, and as they kind of remained and stayed and grew in their skill set and their abilities, they would rise up the ladder. And we ended up creating this little design team of kids and started working with them on a project to begin visualizing what our community could be. So all these things kind of like flow into circumstance and the right moments. There's always opportunity, but your chance to kind of take hold of it always comes along with preparation and readiness to go and willingness to take the risk, right? Well, we had the preparation, we had some ideas. And at that time, the mayor of Birmingham had just spent a lot of money renovating the big Birmingham Museum of Art. And so he's walking in for the big ribbon cutting and he looks right next door to this really ugly building. It's the Metropolitan Civic Arena. And he goes, man, that is ugly. Why have we spent so much money on this when we got this behemoth over here that looks terrible? We need to do something with that wall. So I put an RFP out for a giant community mural. And our kids with Anne submitted a design that they had created. It was a dragon rising out of Birmingham's industrial past to create a beautiful future. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we decided we were going to, and then Anne said, what are we going to make it out of? And she said, we're going to make it out of what we're standing on. It's the ground that our city is standing on right now. We're going to use clay. So we created this design to be a 50 foot by 100 foot tile mural that now sits down in the middle of the city of Birmingham. And we made 36,000 tiles over four years and then took two years to build the actual final project. So it's amazing. Wow. Well, I'm just going to have to go to Birmingham, Alabama to just go see that mural. Wow. That's a pretty amazing story about fame and impact. I love it. 
we thank our sponsor, BespokeBranding.io. Tailored branding to reach your ideal client. Gain a deeper level of understanding to empower your brand and purpose and rule the market. We know what it's like to journey from a place of feeling overwhelmed and undervalued to being powerful, understood, and authentic. Your brand identity allows you to live your purpose. The Brand Therapist has 20 years of branding and design experience, has transformed billion-dollar brands, and has eight-plus years of guiding women entrepreneurs to realize their potential. I invite you to take the brand quiz, and you can find it at www.bespokebranding.io. Now I'm going to go into more personal questions. Tell me about your greatest fear. I think, I know this is going to sound odd, but I think I fear success or completing a project. I think there's a high level of procrastination on my part because of that. And there's a certain level where I kind of fall back into these moments where things have to be perfect. And it's been a long process to kind of unlearn that. And I still get trapped by it. I know I do, but I think that's it. I love that because I just spoke to my mentor today and we were talking about, be careful what you ask for. And it's a similar concept in the sense of you may not be asking for it because you may be afraid that you're actually going to get it, right? And getting it means you're going to be successful at it. So you kind of push it back or, you know, ignore it. And I recognized as I was speaking to her that I was a little bit holding back on a project because I was maybe fearful of that. Yeah, I think the other part of that, I think sometimes is that I'm a real process oriented person. And part of being successful means that possibly that project ends. And I like so much doing the work that's leading up to it that I kind of you know, regress because I don't want it to quite end, right? So, I mean, I think it's, it's both of those things. Wow. Okay, so we're going to go into your archetype. And just to preface this, I am not trying to pigeonhole you in a specific tor- sort of character, but I think it's fascinating. We're multidimensional beings, right? This is just a little piece of you, but it kind of reflects kind of what you do. I had you answer two questions and you came out as a caregiver. So I'm going to read this to you and you're going to tell me if it kind of means something to you. So a caregiver sees the need in the world and is attracted to experiences that make them feel needed and appreciated. The motivation is family. The need is to support others. The fear is lack of understanding. And the behaviors is cares about working closely with others draw sincere concern about people's well-being and personal development. Yeah, I think that, I mean, there's a lot of that that's spot on, right? Uh, (laughs) It's scary, isn't it? Actually, when you were talking and I'm reading this, I'm like, what? (laughs) No, it's like so fascinating to me how with two questions, we can get right to the center of somebody's characteristics of their personality. Right. And I use this to help people really define their personal brand. It's not like I'm telling people, okay, now you're going to be a different person. It's more like telling people, this is who you are. This is your nature. So use it to your benefit. 
because that consistency builds trust. And I was talking to somebody the other day and she was like, oh, you know, I met this guy. We were like over video and I was telling him my stories and this really vulnerable story about myself. And then he was actually looking for somebody to work on a project. And I said, oh, I have somebody that I can send to you. And he's like, no, no, I want you because I know you. And she was like, well, he doesn't really know me because, like, you know, we haven't really met. It's just over these conversations. But that is what works a lot of times when we show our deepest secrets or talk about our vulnerabilities. People feel like they know us and know us a little bit more. So I love how that kind of happens. But there's five words that represent this archetype. And I want you to define very short sentences. What is your definition of each of these words? Okay, helpful. I think it's about providing guidance and assistance. And for me, helpful in my definition, you know, in the in relation to the archetype is listening and then helping to guide and curate a good decision by the person I'm talking to. Helpful can also mean that, you know, someone's bleeding out and you have to staunch a wound. That's a very practical re- <laughs> practical <laughs> thing that has to happen, right? <laughs> but my term of helpful, when I'm being helpful, I think most of the time it really means becoming an ally, working alongside someone to help them realize, you know, what their full potential can be. Responsible. Responsible. I mean, I think that is showing up. If you make the commitment to be helpful to be there for somebody, you know, it's your responsibility. I think it's our responsibility to assist the world, assist the next generation and those, you know, above us to help make this a better planet and a better place to live. And again, you know, make sure that people are reaching their potential, whatever that is they want to define for themselves. Love it. Empathetic. I think being empathetic means listening and getting a deep sense of feeling that someone is having in whatever the situation they're describing. I don't know if standing in their shoes is the right thing, but being in that place with them, I think it's more around that. You know, I I don't think I could step into somebody's shoes. I don't know their situation well enough, but I can stand beside them to help understand and see what they're looking at from their perspective. I love it. Nurturing. I think that is the big part of caring, right? And I think nurturing is interesting to me because it's kind of like that oxygen on the airplane thing. Nurturing is is really showing deep caring and taking action. So action is part of the nurturing thing. But I think nurturing starts with nurturing yourself. So it's make sure you get the oxygen on, then go help someone else. Understand your own situation. Because if you're coming in with a baggage full, you know, a bag full of problems and you know, you can't be attentive to someone else, then I think you're not going to do the right job. Yeah. And actually, that's a perfect metaphor for the caregiver, because a lot of times if we don't take care of ourselves, it's difficult to take care of others. And basically, a lot of caregivers sometimes tend to be overwhelmed because they can't set boundaries. And that's a a big deal for them is to be able to set those boundaries so they can flourish. And you're laughing. And I know that's been something for you as well, right? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) have to learn to say no more often. <laughs> exactly. Supportive. <laughs> In my mind, supportive is about being present, listening, and bringing then the right tool set to assist somebody when they need it. But it also may mean, in a lot of cases, you were there to listen. Being supportive doesn't mean taking action on driving that change for someone. Again, it's like you know, standing aside them, 
when they ask for the assistance or the specific help, help them when they need it. Don't make assumptions about what they need or how they need it. I love that. That is true. That is so key. So in that vein, tell me three lessons that you've learned over your either your lifetime or recently that you want to tell people about. Oh, boy. Well, I mean, I think that the general lessons and we hear them all the time, but it's the specific how they show up in your life and how you practice them. And I was actually, you know, pondering this. I was talking to my son, you know, who's younger, but there's a level of being open to the world and seeing what the opportunities there are. And I think when you're younger, you say yes to a lot more of those because what you have is a lot of time and possibility. Uh, you have to build networks. There are things that you have to do. And then as you kind of get older, you don't shut them down, but you certainly have to focus a little bit more. You have a little bit of that wisdom. As I'm getting older, you know, there's the physical limitations, there's the, you know, the mental limitations and the things that I, things that I know I'm never going to do again. But I say, understand the value of your time and be open to trying some new things. I think getting down to the work, there's a certain point where we can talk things to death and, and really there's a real value in just doing work. As an artist, you understand that. Now, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of occupations that don't give a lot of time or opportunity to really just explore working as what it is. And you know this, when you sit in a studio for hours and you draw and you make mistakes and you kind of explore things, it's a gift. And give credence to your work and do good work and work deliberately, practice and get better. You know, that's really important. And there's just such a value in that. I'm not sure if it's something that's kind of a Buddhist mantra when you're doing it, but process you get lost in and you learn about a lot about the value of your own time in the way that you think. I love it. So tell me, where do you see Brian in the next five to 10 years? Where do you see yourself? You know what? I don't know. And I think that's a good thing. <laughs> I love it. I never imagined that I'd be doing this work right now, leading an organization that is doing amazing work here in Louisville, Kentucky. We have so much we need to do here and we can do here to grow. But what's exciting to me and what interested me in this role is we have a model. So I, I'm not sure if I finished the whole kind of way we work, but we tutor and mentor the middle school kids, but we have the high school kids that provide the tutoring. They basically commit their community service hours for that full year of mentoring, tutoring. And they do this one-on-one -on -one for a full school year. So it's one high school student, one middle school student. That's the secret sauce. It's all these things we're talking about with caregiving, right? And, you know, mentoring and, you know, what you learn as a mentor and tutor and what you gain from having a good mentor and tutor. All of that happens at an amazing level of scale because it's always one kid with one kid. And we can make that grow as big as we want. We could have a million kids in the program and it's still one kid with one kid. And so that's what interests me is that we have this opportunity to look at creating very individualized solution at very large scale. I love the model because it really feels like you can expand and narrow very quickly. So tell me, Brian, where do, do you like to hang out on social? What can people reach you? What's the best way for them to contact you? I am on Facebook and LinkedIn. I don't know my Facebook and LinkedIn addresses or URLs. I have to say I'm not a <laughs> Luddite, but I wouldn't say that I'm really smart with social media. A lot of my work is focused on the work with kids individually and, and helping my colleagues you know, accomplish our goals. But my organization is at uh, educationaljustice.org. And so you can learn a little bit more about what we do there. 
And uh, the organization that I work with in Birmingham that I mentioned was Space 111. And they're just a wonderful little organization too. So if you want to learn more about them, and I think they may have some pictures of the big mural project there. And of course, you know, following all of the work with Louisville Metro government, and uh, I think it's the Office of Immigrant Affairs now, that's the work, you know, that I'm doing. I'll be honest with you, Amalka, I'm not really a big fan of showcasing myself. And I know that's one of my weaknesses. I need to, I need to, as my friends always say, get my light out from under my hat. But even though I've led organizations, I always like shining the light on those around me who are doing the work. I'm sure you do. You're a caregiver. Like, how could you not? right? Thank you. Thank you, Brian, for being on the show. I so appreciate you. You're a great, amazing friend. And I appreciate the time we spent together and got to learn about all these amazing things. And the way that you went at it was very unique and different from other people that I've met in the same circumstances. So I really appreciate you. And thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Milka. This is a fantastic podcast. And I love the work you're doing. Thank you for listening to The Brand Therapist. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. If you would like to connect on social, you can find me at Yamoka Rodriguez Branding or BespokeBranding.io. And if you would like to do the brand character quiz, go to BespokeBranding.io and click on Brand Quiz. Or you can email me at yamilka at yamilka.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs>